If you've been told to pull up your socks, then make sure it's a pair of TNT socks. The TNT shop is now open at tntradio.live. This is the Christmas show on today's News Talk TNT Radio. It certainly is. G'day, g'day. Welcome to the program. Uh, this is Christmas live and visual, of course, on TNT in the year 2024. Visual on every existing platform on the internet. So no matter where you want to go, whether it's X or whether it's YouTube or Rumble or Facebook, you just look for TNT Radio.live and uh, any. Uh, configuration of that, and you'll eventually hear us and see us at the same time. That is what we're in for in 2024, and we appreciate you following us through the first part of the year. We're broadcasting globally, of course, uh, from our website, our app, and all the various uh, streaming uh, apps as well. Now, I've got plenty to tell you about. In this edition, uh, while the world seems to be focused on war at the moment, and in particular when the United States might uh, revenge the killing of three of their soldiers in Jordan against Iran, Britain has just been introduced to a national disgrace very close to home. Uh, The widespread sexual assault of female patients in government mental health facilities. It was a major bombshell dropped on Sunday, and the numbers are truly unbelievable. They are inexplicable. Uh, It was 10 years ago when the Tory government announced major reforms to the mental health sector, and I'm sorry, they have failed and they spiral into further turmoil as a result of this investigation. We'll get to that shortly. I'll be joined by our politics and history genius today, the Canadian patriot himself, Matt Errett. On the agenda, when and how will the United States retaliate against Iran? And will it trigger a new branch of the conflict in the Middle East? We'll discuss that with Matt, and we'll talk about what the smartest nations in the world are now doing in terms of resourcing Kiev. They're doing uh, they're doing it a little bit better than what the United States is doing. And more European farmers hit the streets to protest against green tape and net zero taxes. And I think it is time the US, British and Australian farmers hit the road in their continents as well. We'll talk about that a little bit later. The environmental economist, Dr. Alan Moran, joins us for the first time in 2024 today. He's been writing this month about the shelving of various green pledges related to net zero in areas like Europe and also Scandinavia. And why has reality bitten in those parts of the world? Will the presidential election do the same on climate change ideology for the United States, and will the penny ever drop in uh, nuclear-afraid Australia and with a federal Labor government? Alan Moran on the program a little bit later. And you'll hear from the fearless New South Wales Senator too, Holly Hughes. We'll talk about the Prime Minister's tour of the country, which saw him reassure Queenslanders today that they can trust him. Despite spending 18 months telling porkies, porky pie lies, he's saying today, surely um, they can be trusted or he can be trusted and the government can be trusted. I doubt that. 
so there's plenty to work with when we get to Holly Hughes a little bit later. And let's hear what you have to say as well. We've got our talkback lines, which we'll press the button on right now. And no matter who's on air at the time, you too can be part of the conversation and we appreciate your contribution. So by all means, jump on our chat box on tntradio.live. But if you want to step right up and have your say forcefully, um, right out in front of all of our listeners and our viewers, do so on our talkback lines. From the United States and Canada, one 201 6425 from the UK, 033-0024-1026. And from Australia or New Zealand, 1-800-670-310. You're with Chris Smith. We're broadcasting live from Sydney, Australia for the next two hours. I hope you can stay with us on the Global News Talk Network. This is TNT. Russia. Gas prices, COVID mandates. It just doesn't seem like anybody's doing anything about it. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Well, one of the benefits of putting a country's health system under strain, as occurred with COVID-19 right across the world, is that you very quickly see where the weaknesses are, where the fault lines are. And in Britain, the NHS was exposed like it has never been before. And so there are advantages to putting a system under pressure. But now, thanks to some good old-fashioned investigative journalism, the NHS and its mental health hospitals have been rocked by some inexplicably disgraceful behaviour. At 18-month-long, Joint Sky News and Independent Investigation has uncovered a national scandal, with tens of thousands of sexual assaults being reported in these institutions in just the last five years. Tens of thousands. They spoke with almost a dozen victims who have shocked Great Britain, including swimming star Alexis Quinn, whose experiences, I've got to say, having watched the entirety of the reports, are just mind-blowing. I was the only female um, in a ward of 18 men. You'd think that you'd fight. You know, I'm a six-foot-one woman. I, I had this sense that oh, if that had happened, I would have fought. But you are so terrified. You're paralysed with fear. Completely powerless. In the 12 hospitals that I was in, in probably 10 of those, there always felt like there was the potential for, for that threat to happen. And I experienced a lot of, you know, physical violence, a lot of sexual violence. Imagine putting a woman in an area where people are mentally unstable, 18 men to the one woman. What is happening? And this is only recently. This is in the last five years. What were they thinking? Now, the wider trend has revealed, and these numbers are just mind-blowing, 20,000 reports of sexual incidents in those five years in more than half of NHS mental health trusts. That's official data according to The Independent. Now, all this was triggered by an escapee, one woman, patient 11 they call her, trapped in this sexual tyranny, managed to escape and come forward to tell her story. They published details of her plight and others came forward as well. Now, these victims were locked in British mental health units, unable to control their fate or even escape from some of these units and dormitories, like some of the shocking cases we heard of in the 60s, this is like. Professor Charlie Brooker from the Royal Holloway University of London says these de-traumatising hospitals 
were only compounding personal trauma for the majority of patients across Britain. 60 to 80 percent of people who end up as an inpatient in a psychiatric hospital have either experienced sexual abuse or sexual violence already. When that kind of incident is occurring on a psychiatric ward where you should feel safe, you are re-traumatising people. In so many instances, what went on in these mental health facilities and just in the last five years is when this investigation was focused on, that was more traumatising than what was happening to some of these patients before they turned up in a mental institution. Inside was more traumatising than the reason they gave for getting inside. Now, the investigation was published and aired this past weekend. The reaction has been enormous and has added to the criticism already levelled against the NHS since COVID-19. Dr Lady Smith, President of the Royal College of Psychiatrists, called the findings horrendous, while Shadow Health Secretary Wes Streeting said it was a wake-up call for the government. And the government has some explaining to do here because the figures suggest that just 982, less than 5% of sexual incidents reported to hospitals were referred to the police over the same period. Less than 5%. These crimes are being simply tallied up in health department computers, but they're not going anywhere else, especially nowhere near police or a courtroom. These culprits are getting away with all of that. Now, what's worse is that despite a decision a decade ago to ban mixed-sex wards, they're still being widely used, and 500 of those assaults in the last five years derived from mixed-sex wards. As Alexis told Sky News, attempts 10 years ago to reform the NHS mental health sector have led to nothing. Nothing's changed and nothing's going to change unless significant action's taken. Now, she's right. According to Sunday's report, just six out of 50 hospitals were able to prove to those investigators they were meeting NHS standards set down to protect patients from sexual harm. Only six out of 50 could do that. Not even during COVID has the NHS been so badly exposed. It's also another nail in the coffin of the Conservative government. It was the current government which promised to end the dangerous mixed-sex wards back in 2010, yet soaring numbers of patients have canned that policy internally. Now, with the government hemorrhaging in the polls at the moment, this latest expose has given Prime Minister Rishi Sunak a headache he was not expecting. Dame Vera Baird. The former Victims Commissioner has said publicly this week the investigation is a national scandal. Sharon Brennan from the patient charity National Voices said the examples uncovered by The Independent were among the worst breaches of trust we have heard of. And ironically enough, the Healthcare Safety Investigation Branch is about to launch a national inquiry into mental health care in England. Well, what has been uncovered by The Independent and Sky News uh, will have investigators rather busy, I would have thought, on their own. And this is just the public sector. Uh, there have been experts interviewed on various radio stations in London predicting similar rates of assault may very well exist in private mental institutions as well. No one's looking at that. Let's just hope that Sky and the Independent might turn their attention to their 
to that sector as well. And what did the NHS say in response to the expose? They released a statement, of course, put no one up. You wouldn't want to send someone to the lines. They put a statement out and part of it said, quote, sexual assault would not be tolerated and said it was rolling out better reporting mechanisms and trainings for staff as part of its new NHS sexual safety charter. Well, sexual assault has been tolerated to the tune of 20,000 incidents in just the last five years. So the statement was a lie. Typical government health spin aimed at stopping a major hemorrhage, and this is major, but it won't work. This is TNT. TNT's Timothy Shea. The race is essentially now Vivek Ramaswamy and Nikki Haley. Ron disappoints us will be pulling his hat from the ring next. And the issue, as always, is why is the Nikki taking so much of the left's money? Well, maybe this will give you a little insight. She credits Hillary Clinton with inspiring her to enter politics, having attended a women's leadership summit at which Hillary spoke. And Nikki said, and I quote, I then had to decide whether I was a Republican or Democrat. See, Nikki has no core beliefs other than doing whatever her globalist masters, paymasters, want her to say. The Reckoning with Timothy Shea on today's News Talk TNT. Radio works because of its ability to personalize to the listener. What's exciting these days is that people are rediscovering it. You know, people are really rediscovering just how powerful radio is, how ubiquitous it is. It's in our cars, it's in our homes. There are so many new ways to access it. It's everywhere. To find out more, go to tntradio.live. Today's News Talk Radio. I do a lot of streaming radio. I do a lot of free streaming. tntradio.live. I want to get to Matt Errett in just a second, but first we heard coming out of the Independent and Sky News in Britain, I've got from Southern California, Don on our talkback lines. Hi there, Don. Oh, hey, Chris. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I just wanted to discuss the uh, way they traffic people through the mental health system uh, from my own experience. Uh, Please do. I didn't know how they can make you know, use neurobehavioral chemicals very cheaply and very easily to uh, to get people in, inside those uh, facilities. Um, you know, through these sprit, this uh, system, how they got it here. And it wasn't till I really put up cameras that I kind of understood, you know, the system of of doing it to to make people. Uh, mentally unstable, paranoid, um, and not have a clue how to figure out what what was going on. And Well, this is fascinating. You know, so they, you put up cameras. Where did you put these cameras up and for what reason? Well, um, because I would see stains and, and on leaves and greasy kind of things on the grass and discoloration, um, quick rusting, and then it burns the skin. What, what I, must, I mistakenly felt, it, I was being electrified, and that analysis was completely wrong. I mean, how 
you know, wrong it is when people think that they're being affected by, like, cell towers when it's basically these sprays. And I didn't really understand what was happening. But, yeah, I, I started putting them on the perimeters of this two-acre property, which they were trying to get because it's on a cliff area. And these guys have strung these chemical lines from here to God knows where. I can only see what I can see with my cameras, but I can speculate by the stains all around the area. And we were the first ones on the property in the 50s to develop it as a farm, an organic farm. So, uh, you know, we it got sold as taxes go up and people go under, they see the uh, feasibility of putting in... Uh, you know, housing tracks, and that that's how this happened. And So where are you, you know, saying the chemicals are emanating from? Well, they come, they come in by tank loads. It's a, basically a uh, palletized system, but they do have tankers, and they bury tanks. Uh, what size, I don't know. I wasn't there when they, when they buried the tanks, but I see the trucks coming in very various ways, really sneaky ways of putting it in, like through uh, tree chippers. They'll, br they'll have the tanks in the tree chipper dump trucks. And like clockwork, every month they're refilled. So they come in with some kind of a tanker once a month, and, and they're buried on different pro bigger properties. And, uh, yeah, that's how it works. And then they run feeder. They buy end-to-end -end properties. So that they can run feeder lines from the main tanks, and then it, the houses are grafted. And this is what I'm seeing with my camera. The houses are grafted into the, uh, those black ABS pipes that go up through the roof for the, uh, the you know, air for the sewage systems, you know, the, mm. your, your sinks and toilets and showers. And what impact and do you think this is having on human life? Well, it has to go somewhere before it dis dilutes and disperses. But the, the fact that these are highly toxic um, liquids, like similar to gasoline, xylene, um, ben uh, you know, benzene, ethylbenzene, and uh, toiline. So it's, it's, it's really intoxicating stuff. It, it uh, deliri you know, makes people delirious. If, even one half a breath, if it's strong enough, all about dilution and you know milligrams per cube you know cubic uh, meter of air and so I I've been also metering it with with air quality monitors to verify what what it is because I can't otherwise you'd have to get a <clears throat> vacuum chamber and send it to a chromatography and and that yeah, that's that's like ten thousand a pop you know to yeah. get and then are you going to get the re results you want but but the sheriff and the police are doing it. That's what's weird. There's a policeman, local policeman involved, and there's a ex-sheriff uh, that was a deputy. He, was, he has tank. They both have tanks on their properties, and they're one's next door and one's two doors down. I'm, I knew these guys since the 50s. I grew up with them in, in school, mm. and they were poor Oklahoma kids that were malnourished, and now they're very well, fair, well, they're very, they're very middle class. Let's put it that way. And mm. 
they're running around in toy haulers, but but the toy haulers, I believe, are setting up farms and different places to you know sicken the farm animals. These people have no morals, you know. They're they're devoid of any moral compass. So you know that's what they do for a living, <clears throat> and you know it happened to be that you know the people that supposedly did you know organize 9/11 that that they had you know they started that that they moved next door you know so because my somehow they were connected to a Jewish mob or something and uh, the, I don't know it's just something to do with the family that I have no you know real, I, I'm not part of because I was born Protestant you know. But All right, I'll I leave that, that speculation side. elsewhere, but um, I appreciate your, your call. Thank you, Don, for calling in. All righty. Good to have you part of the program. Thank you. Well, congressional leaders on Sunday mourned three American service members killed in a drone strike in Jordan and called for retaliation against Iran-backed militants whom the Pentagon says are responsible. Now, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell and Senator Lindsey Graham are among several Republican voices calling for strong action against Iran. While the Pentagon has so far not declared war on Iran, Biden, for his part, vowed to retaliate, saying in a statement on Sunday that, quote, we will hold all of those responsible to account at a time and in a manner of our choosing. Let's bring in Matt Errett live from Montreal, Canada, to discuss this and more. Matthew is a journalist, founder and editor-in-chief of the Canadian Patriot Review, director at the Rising Tide Foundation and senior fellow at the American University in Moscow. He hosts the weekly Great Game on Rogue News and writes for Strategic Culture, Washington Times and The Cradle. Matt is TNT host of the Connecting the Dots with Matt Errett show, which is on Saturdays from 11 a.m. until 2 p.m. U.S. Eastern Standard Time. Matt Errett, welcome back to the program. Good to have you on. It is always a great pleasure to be with you, Chris. Who was responsible for the drone strike in Jordan, which killed three American service members? There's a lot of ambiguity thus far uh, surrounding the very strange thing, and uh, it's difficult to get exact causal nexus. The Iranian government has denied any involvement. There's no details supplied to the press that have inquired into which um, organization that is supposedly controlled by Iran that carried out this this murder, and even the, the location itself. The Jordanian spokesman for the Jordanian government has said that the servicemen were killed on the Syrian side of the border, as the U.S. is saying that it is on the Jordanian side of the border. Um, so there's a lot of strange, under underformed narratives that are almost intentionally ambiguous to justify um, an acceleration of the Warhawks, or to, to pour fuel on the on the Warhawks' uh, desire to have have that strike onto Iran that they've wanted for a long time, and we're seeing that across the board now. And I think that the one thing that really strikes me is very, very odd is that there there have been now discussions, robust discussions between the Iraqi, the Iraqi regime and America in terms of negotiating an exit out of both Iraq and Syria from the US, which we've not seen something move to this extent of progress. Mm. So why would Iran, which is so close to achieving their goal of finally getting US military forces away from their border back into the U.S. where they belong, why would they pick a fight now at this moment so provocatively, which would just foreseeably create more 
headache and turmoil for both Iran and the, the region surrounding Iran itself. So very, very uh, strange scenario. Well, let me add to the ambiguity because Deputy Pentagon Press Secretary Sabrina Singh faced a question on this very matter at a press briefing today. Have a listen to this. Just to follow up, you said Iran was behind the attack. What does that mean? Have you seen evidence of financing or directing anything specific to this attack, not just generally, but specifically? Uh, so maybe I need to clarify further um, from what Lita had mentioned. We know that Iran funds these groups, like Kitab Hezbollah. We know that these IRGC-backed militias are the ones responsible for attacks on our troops in Iraq and Syria. Uh, beyond that, we're we're doing an intelligence assessment. We don't have, I, don't, I can't give you today that- This attack linking it to Iran. We just know that Iran funds these groups like Kitab Hezbollah and other groups that have attacked our forces, but I don't have more to share on- As a general matter, uh, saying, right? As a general matter, yes. Now, she says, I don't have more to share. So that is either we don't have any more to share because we can't tell you the evidence because we don't have the evidence or they have the evidence, but they're not sharing it with the public. Um, what are your suspicions? My suspicions are that they are making it. They're, yeah. they're making things up and they're trying to live in this domain of, of ambiguity right now. Um, as has been the case in every single crisis situation that we've been forced to live through since 9-11, including the pandemic, including a variety of things. Where, um, we're told that there is a, a reason to be very afraid and uh, and acquiesce to something which will destroy our freedoms and probably many lives and not ask too many questions that involve evidence. So, um, no, I'm sensing I'm sensing a lot of lies again. And see, it wouldn't hurt to reveal the evidence. You know, if you have stated publicly that they are responsible, show us the evidence. What could be harmful about showing part of the evidence that may convince Americans that they know who the culprits are? Like right now, we're all sort of looking at each other and boy, oh boy, weren't they very quick to blame Iran? Exactly. Yeah. If you really, if you know, uh, just say it doesn't hurt anybody. Uh at this point just to simply say what, what is at fault and again i i feel of like it's the exact same thing that was done in on october 7th when we we're told one story and in hindsight we're seeing that uh there was a very small sliver of truth infused with a lot of lies uh that that justified something which has taken us precariously close to world three and uh once again i mean it's it's sort of netanyahu just last week when the supreme uh, when the the, the south african uh uh, government was able to get the International Court of Justice to rule in favor of the claims of genocide to a certain degree, minus the ceasefire. But despite that, within 24 hours, Benjamin Netanyahu was saying, no, uh, not only are we not going to stop what we are doing, but we're going to strike at the head of snake Iran. And so, uh, no, I mean, it's a, they're pushing hard, harder right now, even though the world has, has to see that uh, that we are going to war yet again based on lies and this time involving nuclear warheads and military treaties that would possibly suck in major powers, not just Iran, but potentially China, Russia, into a, a conflagration with NATO as a whole. This is something very, very, very dangerous. We're getting closer and closer. Let's take a, a quick break. I've got to get to news. We'll come back with you, Matt. So much more to talk about. 
plenty to wrestle with. And if you want to be part of the conversation, just jump on our talkback lines from the United States or Canada. It's one 201 from the UK, 33 And from Australia or New Zealand, one 800 to the newsroom on TNT. Today's News Talk Radio. Check this out. Now, TNT Radio News. Matt Boyland here with your TNT headlines. A woman who was awarded $83 million after suing Donald Trump for denying he sexually assaulted her has vowed to do whatever she can to stop him from becoming president again. The White House press secretaries come under fire for claiming three US soldiers killed in the Middle East died fighting for the Biden administration rather than for the country they serve. And North Korea's launched another salvo of cruise missiles off its coast amid heightened tensions with South Korea, Japan and the US. The common housefly caught in the clutches of the spider's web. Every move it makes just makes matters worse. Then dinner time. Feast on the captivating stories, videos, and helpful information on our website. Whoa. Dinner's ready. Oh, man. Escape is futile. Just one more video. Get stuck in our web. TNTradio.live. Matt Errett is my guest at the moment. Matt, can I just rewind the tape a little bit? And you mentioned about the lies that were told about October 7. And, you know, some of the reportage was misleading. Some of the reportage proved to be wrong, but you're not suggesting that this was in any way uh, well short of barbaric and inhumane, are you? Oh, no, I'm saying that it, there was a, a, a massive amount of lying going on, on both sides, and both uh, Israelis and Palestinians were played on both sides by forces that don't care about anybody living in the region, neither Israel nor Palestinian Arabs, uh, and would like to see the entire region lit on fire. So I'm saying that when you look at the actual intelligence agencies and manipulators uh, behind the scenes, it involved certain billionaires in Qatar, um, very, very tightly enmeshed with the Muslim Brotherhood uh, itself, having been created by various Anglo-American and uh, Zionist intelligence agencies going back to the 1950s that have been yep. used to create deep state fifth columns inside of many Arab countries, including Egypt, Saudi Arabia and beyond, and that would use and sacrifice some of their own lower level uh, Palestinians, many of them, um, in favor of a geopolitical end that they don't really have any um, moral concern about as uh, as far as human beings. Yeah, the the propaganda from both sides, you're right, which it was just uh, beyond the pale, probably more than we've ever, ever seen before. All right, I want to talk about the International Court of Justice. You raised this just before we went to that news break, and you mentioned that uh, the Court of Justice didn't demand a ceasefire. I think we've got to be, um, I think we've got to be transparent about what the International Court of Justice is doing. It led that that they listened to two major opening statements and um, have virtually not investigated what's being alleged yet. So the fact that there's been no ceasefire caused are uh, called doesn't indicate that the evidence isn't there, right? Uh, no, I mean you've got something like twenty 24- four. UN aid workers who have all been bombed to death. Uh, you've got, uh, a, there's a lot of evidence, including from the mouths directly of major players uh, who have taken control over the dead bodies of many Israeli peacemakers over the years who have said that they, <laughs> directly, that you have to choke them off and that these are subhuman uh, people that have to be expelled from the region through all uh, costs, um, all means. 
So there's there's a lot of evidence that has already been presented from a variety of sources, and uh, yeah, there's just not any political will to stop the uh, the carnage. Um, it could be done just like we we could stop the war in in Ukraine very easily by cutting off the source of the uh, the the billions of dollars worth of weapons and armaments that are being fueled into the region, resulting in just massive which could be stopped. We could stop the same thing in the Middle East, but there's no political will. But the process by which the ICJ follows will have to be to check on that evidence, to verify that evidence before they come to any kind of verdict, which could take months, even years. They have no enforcement mechanism, no matter what. It, it's it's really just a, a body that is a useful body in order to... Um, create a, a sort of discussion in the international region, but it still comes up to leading nation states to, to action in any way. Um, right now, it's, I mean, there's something like 140 journalists who have already been killed. So it's very dangerous to even get people on the ground to report back and survive in the Gaza for too long, because as soon as you're identified as somebody who's providing sources for any type of messaging, which is unfavorable to the globalized sort of orientation, these journalists do die. And there's a huge list that I've looked at just today of a massive amount of journalists who have been murdered by design. Um, so it's it's a it's a very dangerous thing right now, and there's a lot of intentional obstruction of any type of serious objective uh, analysis of what's going on. So, so when you say these journalists have been killed by design, whose design mainly? Uh, I think it's the this deep state parasitical force that's taken over control of the Israeli government over many Israeli. Uh, patriots who wanted to create peace with their Arab neighbors over the years. And we have this deep state thing, the same thing that's taken over control of the United States. And uh, it is animated by this idea of purging the land of Arabs um, and is taking full control of the military and uh, for a greater Israel purged of Arabs um, as part of God's supposed covenant promised to uh, the people, his chosen people, um, to have greater Israel established. I believe that now is the end times and there's this messianic fervent to this this whole deal. The Messiah will come when Solomon's temple is built and the land is purged. And uh, it's, uh, it's a bit startling, but it's the same thing that, that works closely with a lot of the, the pseudo-Christian Zionists around Dick Cheney, George Bush, that whole in the United States, Lizzie Graham and others frothing at the mouth for bombing Iran. Mm. Um, it's, a, it's something which has been incubating for decades and decades, which is now coming uh, very, very loudly onto the scene in an action which is uh, potentially uh, nuclear. I mentioned yesterday on the program about Iran also having a duel militarily with Pakistan and in high-level talks between foreign ministers in Islamabad on Monday, Pakistan and Iran have agreed to work together to improve security cooperation. Now, it was only days ago that the two nations were engaged in serious border clashes, striking each other's territory. Um, this would be important. We don't want this to branch out into a separate war. But how can all of a sudden they fire missiles at one another and the next they're sitting at a table agreeing to try and, you know, reduce the amount of friction between the two countries? It sounds awfully false to me. Yes, that was pre-planned uh, very carefully because both sides uh, attacked uh, terrorist groups in Baluchistan, this non, it's kind of like Kurdistan, this region called Baluchistan that overlaps both Afghanistan, Iran, and, and, and Pakistan as a territory. 
And uh, this is a safe zone where Iranian terrorists have carried out uh, murders of Iranian citizens. And then they retreat to the Pakistani side of the border in Baluchistan and basically say, no, 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 you can't touch us. And uh -huh. then you have Pakistani terrorists who also carry out uh, actions in Pakistan and then they run to the Iranian side. And there would there has so far been no desire on the part of the United States to funding and supporting uh, terrorist groups. And ABC News over the years has reported clearly uh, long invested reports in 2007, 2008, how terrorist groups have received funding from the United States and used by the United States. And West refuses to stop funding them, even though they're still on terrorist lists. And so they finally decided to take matters into their own hands and this controlled attack on both sides whereby then they bailed their true intention, which was to develop a partnership and cooperation, which is, I'd say, a, a good thing. Of course it is, yeah. The 27th of January marked the 60th anniversary of France's recognition of China. Why is this significant today, particularly in the context of, you know, today's revolution in France, where you've got farmers blockading every key highway uh, just outside of Paris? Why is it important to commemorate? Well, because I think that 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 original um, outreach in 1964 was part of a, a strategy laid out by Charles de Gaulle to create an alliance for industrial progress against this Thusian oligarchy, which was taking control of m many of the countries of Europe, was trying to kill him. He, sur he survived over 30 assassination attempts, and he had a grand vision for a society of mutually industrial cooperating nation states of putting war and working together to create abundance. And China was a key part of that strategy. Uh, so today, France is very clearly being targeted for uh, destruction. Um, there's only scarcity permitted. That's why the farmers are protesting for their lives. Whereas in China, there's a very robust pro-industrial, pro-agriculture -agri policy to create real, genuine uh, growth once again. So I think if France is to survive. It's going to be through reviving and rekindling the the spirit of of Charles de Gaulle. And if there are any industrialists or or members of the intelligentsia that are still active in France at this point of decay, then they have to move now on on rekindling this quickly because otherwise there's no future with the uh, the Davos World Economic Forum agenda for uh, degrowth. Mm. I want to go to Eastern Europe, if I may. According to the Russian state news agency, TASS, uh, Putin signed a decree this month to assess lost territories of Russian empire in the face of Western acquisition of Russian assets. Um, does Putin's reference to real estate imply Russia has its eyes on Alaska, as some suggest? Well, there's a bit of a cheeky thing there. I, I don't know. It's definitely the, the, the United States and also Belgium, which recently just confiscated, get this, $666 million worth of Russian assets. They chose that number of all numbers, right, is what Belgium just selected to confiscate directly to Ukraine with the threat, obviously, of the full $300 billion uh, to be taken away and stolen uh, later on. It's a very messy process, but it's forced now. Russia into the position where they now have to retaliate with this new threat saying, well, you know what? Nobody ever agreed to the Russian empire's dissolution to begin with. And a lot of our uh, possessions were illegally acquired. So maybe we should do a little bit of an assessment now and see what what's actually legally, um, you know, what, what, should, what do we have claim to the question of Alaska? 
should make some people uncomfortable since, um, yeah, there were some legal loopholes regarding the sale of Alaska in 1967 for $7 million. Um, there's some fishy business with the contracts, and there are arguments that could be made that still technically under the ship of Russia. <laughs> I don't that would be necessarily something I want to push devil on, but it's certainly a fun legal argument that is, uh, you know, floating around right now. What are your thoughts on Belgium using these confiscated assets from Russian oligarchs to um, pay over to Kiev, give Kiev resources to fight Russia? I, I, I guess, you know, prima facie, it seems a smarter thing to do than... Um, uh, dig into the resources of a country like the United States seems to be doing deeply at the moment. Yeah, well, it's sort of they 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 dug themselves into a hole and, and they could just dig deeper um, with a different kind of shovel. And I think they're just arguing over what sort of shovel they use at yes. this point, whether whether they print money or just steal Russian. Because either way, when you steal another sovereign nation's money, you're you're a massive breach of trust in the faith of the Western system as a whole, which is already teetering on the brink. Um, so I, I believe that if they fully do this, then no nation will want to invest in U.S. treasuries or credits, which is the base of the stability of the world economy. And we're already seeing a de-dollarization and nations unloading a lot of their, their monopoly money. Mm. is isn't really worth very much, um, which will only accelerate the, the downfall of the U.S. dollar to begin with. So... Uh, I, the, the, there is obviously an off-ramp, but it involves getting out of the hole first before uh, thinking about digging deeper. Yeah. One last one, and it still concerns Russia, but nuclear energy. And on Monday, Belarus and Russia signed a memorandum of cooperation in peaceful uses of nuclear energy. Um, will the other European countries finally see that cooperation with Russia is probably a smarter thing to have? Yeah, it's an amazing thing. 2.4 gigawatts, uh, 40% of the total energy needs is what uh, Belgium, uh, Belarus. Uh, Belarus will now be uh, acquiring. Um, and that is just fantastic. And every nation could so easily make the same nuclear shift and have a massive amount of energy abundance. Rosatom wants to help. They've already offered to be an assistant to any nation wanting nuclear power. It's, it's open for all. Um, and it's just cult that's saying no we we have to sun windmills and solar panels instead and not allowed to think uh, nuclear but that is the future um for sure if any if, if we do want to survive so um yeah it's a good it's a good role model yeah it is i appreciate your time once again we look forward to hearing you on saturday from 11 a.m until 2 p.m u.s eastern standard time matt Eric, thank you thank you Fantastic to have Matt on, founder and editor-in-chief of the Canadian Patriot Review. Um, jump on those talkback lines. They're all open and we can have a chat about some of what you heard uh, Matt articulate there. Maybe you'd like to set the agenda on something completely different. You have an invitation to do so. So do it right away, right here on TNT. Sometimes a car comes along that changes everything with innovations never thought possible and features that make you wonder, how did people survive without this? This is that time, and this is that car. This is the world's first VWB. Equipped with transparent doors to eliminate reasonable suspicion, whatever that means. A 10 and 2 steering wheel that keeps hands visible at all times. 
We remove the glove box so there's no confusion about what the driver is reaching for. With a touch of a button, the ultrasonic biometric scanner displays the license and registration of the driver to ensure contactless exchange of information. With no trunk, nothing can be concealed, so therefore, there is nothing to search and seize. To ensure you will never be mistaken for breaking the speed limit, we've installed limited edition airless tires. And we remove the engine because, honestly, why risk it? DWB, the first vehicle of its kind, where the safety feature is the car itself. fear. But don't be scared. You're still in pre-tirement. Pre-tirement? Does that mean I have more time to plan? Precisely. Here, this is pretirement.org. Huh. Retirement savings options? <laughs> Potential tax breaks? Yep. Ooh. Oh, I could build up savings for my side hustle. This isn't scary. I'm doing it. You got this. Visit thisispretirement.org for free resources to help you customize your action plan. Where the story goes, we follow Chris Smith on today's News Talk TNT Radio. So here's a simple question for you based on what the President of the United States is considering as we speak. When and how should the U.S. revenge the death of those three soldiers in Jordan? Uh, we're expecting it at any, any time. Antony Blinken didn't uh, put any kind of parameter around when or how. Um, obviously, doesn't want to show his cards, but it sounds like it is on and it will be large. Is that what Americans want their government to do, revenge the killing of three of their soldiers? I'd be interested to hear what you thought on all of that. From the US and Canada, you can call on 1-888-201-6425. Now, I opened this week um, sort of giving you an indication of all the pointers that exist right now about a possible war between Iran and the United States. We've got Iran supporting Hamas. I don't think we have uh, too many um, critics of that proposition. Iran playing a role in the plans for October 7, as reported by the Wall Street Journal the day after October 7. Iran allegedly directing the latest deadly attack on Americans in Jordan, although, as Matt Eretz says, where's the evidence? An intelligence revealed by weapons inspector David Albright a few days ago claiming that Iran will have nuclear armed missiles by June. Now, whatever you think about David Albright, um, his fears that Iran is moving fast to produce nuclear capabilities is not a tall story. Um, that kind of belief is shared by the United States, by Britain, by France, by Germany, uh, who have all written to Iran to say stop 
and they did so in 2023. Um, but what makes such a conflict probable as opposed to possible is that the US has had this infatuation with picking a fight with Iran for a long, long time. Some would argue the agencies, for instance, the CIA, have urged it to happen. The Jordan attacks may have just given the Biden administration an excuse to create the conflict that they've longed for, which is a scary proposition. Uh, that's certainly the belief of US veteran Joe Kent. Now, Kent completed no less than 11 tours of the Middle East and even lost his wife in battle. Um, Joe Kent has told Tucker Carlson today on X that this eagerness to go to war against Iran is fueled by old vengeances run by old people in power in Washington. And it kind of makes sense, doesn't it? He argues that the United States should be prioritising what's important to Americans at home, not along foreign borders. I mean, I think a lot of it is this deeply entrenched mentality in Washington, D.C., which most certainly has financial interests assigned to it. However, I do think there is a lot of people and a lot of them, like you pointed out, like Nancy Pelosi, are in their 80s and they've always thought this way, this with us or against us mentality that says like, hey, you're either for the next war, the most current war and the current thing, or you're with the terrorists. You, you just uh, are kowtowing to Vladimir Putin. It's the exact same mentality that got us into the Iraq war. You're either with us or you're with the terrorists. And look, Tucker, I would love to come on here and defend neoconservatism as someone who you know lost my late wife in these wars, as somebody who lost countless friends, as somebody who fought myself 11 combat deployments. I spent most of my 20s and 30s in Iraq. I would love to tell you it had worked, but it simply did not. And that's a very hard thing to admit. I get into yes. arguments all the time uh, with fellow veterans about this exact same topic. So I think a lot of this is literally the gambler's fallacy. There's a lot of people who think, hey, yeah. if we just keep trying, if we keep attempting to spread freedom through the barrel of a gun and trillions of US dollars, this time it's gonna work. Let's just double down. And this is, well, how really nice casinos are built in Las Vegas off of this exact same mentality. So I think that combined with the financial interest from Lockheed Martin and every single defense contractor and you know, putting uh, someone like Lloyd Austin as the Secretary of Defense who's still on the board at Raytheon, I think those that factor with that mentality and people not being able to admit that we got this wrong and then making adjustments to our policy, I think that gets us in this current situation because it's actually challenging to thread the needle. Like, where do we go from here? We can't just let the Iranians attack and kill our people. Right. But at the same time, we know if we go to war with Iran, this is going to be a disaster. There's no data that says like, hey, maybe if we just go to our war with Iran this time, it's going to work out great. We've actually got to assess the past mistakes that we made, make adjustments, and then chart a more pragmatic way forward, but at the same time, not lose sight of what's happening in our own country. Isn't that sage advice? That is extremely sage advice. Think about what you have done in recent history and how bad it's turned out and don't make those mistakes again. But of course, politicians don't learn from mistakes. They only learn from what gives them ratings points and what puts them high up in polls. That's what they learn from. They don't learn from mistakes. But isn't it interesting? The terminology Joe Kent used there, uh, spreading freedom through a barrel of a gun at the cost of trillions. That's exactly what the United States 
and the deep state has been doing willingly for decades and failing in most instances. Now, in an interview conducted on ABC News, uh, the National Security Council's John Kirby says the White House does not want war with Iran. Here he is today. Again, I don't want to get ahead of the president's decision space, George. He's going to have options to look at as commander in chief, and he'll make the right decision. We're not looking for a broader war in the region. We certainly aren't looking for a, a conflict with Iran. Uh, but make no mistake, Iran is supporting these groups that are resourcing them, training them, uh, you know, certainly not, not discouraging these attacks at all. Uh, we know they support the Houthis, Hezbollah, Hamas. Uh, they, they are definitely uh, causing a lot of, uh, of these attacks to happen. That's John Kirby. We don't want um, a war with Iran. Well, he mightn't want a war with Iran. Some of his colleagues may not. But as we know, um, you know, military contractors love wars. They salivate over wars. They become multi-billionaires over wars. And no wonder they want to go in and try their hand with Iran, which how long could it go? Unless you nuke the place, it could go on for years and years and years, which is exactly what we've seen in the Eastern Europe region. A um, couple of quick comments. Pelly says, Biden won't attack Iran. The USA has become a toothless tiger on the world stage. Uh, we Fat Shug says, replace Iran with CIA. And I, I made the mention of that before, the fact that there's been numerous accusations that the CIA enjoys you know, playing the policeman against uh, Minnow states, Iran included. Um, so it's all very interesting. Now, something in particular I wanted to tell you about today, which has got nothing to do with what we've been talking about for the last 50 minutes, but this is out of the Vatican City. And sometimes I think this current Pope, and I'm a Catholic, I think this current Pope oversteps the mark uh, to the detriment of himself, his legacy, and the Catholic Church. But he's now saying, Pope Francis, in an interview published on Monday, that Africans were a special case in the opposition of bishops and many other people in the continent to homosexuality. But he said he was confident that except for Africans, critics of his decision to allow blessings for same-sex couples would eventually understand it. Blessings were allowed last month in a document called, and uh, it actually means in English, supplicating trust, which has caused widespread debate in the Catholic Church with particularly strong resistance coming from African bishops. Um, Francis told Italian newspaper La Stampa, those who protest vehemently belong to small ideological groups. A special case are Africans, for their homosexuality is something bad from a cultural point of view. They don't tolerate it. But in general, I trust that gradually everyone will be reassured by the spirit of the agreement and the declaration. It aims to include, not divide. He's getting into areas that will upset many Catholics and many conservative Catholics. But I just wonder whether it's the kind of thing the Catholic Church needs to do or wants to do. And why would you make Africa a special case if you're willing to bring homosexuality uh, and homosexuals into the tent within the Catholic Church? Why would you make Africa an exception because their government wouldn't accept homosexuals? I don't get that at all. Maybe you have a better understanding of this. Maybe you see the hypocrisy as wide as I do, but I just, um, 
I just don't get it. Maybe you've got a view on all of that. And from Washington, US politicians are calling for new laws to criminalise the creation of deep fake images after explicit fake photos of Taylor Swift were viewed millions of times online. Think about it if it was yourself in the same situation. Fake online images, not on. This is Chris Smith on TNT.